You are listening to Subtle Disruptors Melbourne. This is the first series of the podcast, Subtle Disruptors, telling the stories of those who are quietly having an amazing, positive impact on their city and the world. I never felt that comfortable protesting. You know, I was raised in rallies and protests, but it never felt like me. And it's not to say that I don't support them and don't think that they're fabulous and that there's a place for them in Australian society and all societies but it didn't feel authentic to me. It feels more authentic to me to, to be challenging things through business, you know, and through media. I briefly met Jiralala Harvey at the Purpose Conference in Sydney and was immediately curious about how an Aboriginal way of doing business might differ from a mainstream Australian way. What values were brought to the fore? And what could the confluence of thousands of years of local knowledge and emerging generation of Aboriginal entrepreneurs and today's technology mean for the future and betterment of Melbourne and Australia. I'm Adam Murray, and thanks for joining me as I talk with Jiralala Harvey on the subtle disruption of Australian culture. I'm going to start by talking about where we are today and why it's significant to you, this place. Sure. So my office is based at the Corangamaji Institute. Corangamaji means to grow and emerge um, in Wurrung language, which is the language of the custodians of Melbourne. Um, and it's a Aboriginal leadership institute kind of housed within the Richmond Football Club and I've been based here for about two and a half years which has been really cool for me for a number of reasons Um, being based within the AFL within an AFL club and broader within the industry um, has been exciting and I feel really at home in the sports industry I grew up in the arts yeah um, but I think have found a bit of a home in sports. Um, it's also really inspiring because we get a whole bunch of young Aboriginal people through here all the time and it just becomes, you know, a really lively space. Um, and I love being around young ones. They're what keep me grounded and, and keep me motivated. Um, but it's also been really good in starting a new business. You've got a lot more credibility when you're attached to a football club than sitting at home in your jamas. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, it's been a really great base for me over the last few years. Yeah. So you're so we're at the Richmond Football Club. Yep. In are we in Richmond in Melbourne? Yeah, or we're we actually are in Richmond. This is Richmond, is it? Well, we're in the city of Melbourne. Yeah. It's a borderline thing. We're so in Richmond. We can see Richmond definitely yep. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that sorry, the Leadership Institute. What was the name of it again? Corangamaji, or Corangamaji. Um, call it KGI. KGI. Yeah. Do you work for them, or is your business um, subcontracting to them? Or so how does it we're like a partner organisation, kind of. Um, so I rent an office space here, but have worked really closely with them, kind of, uh, really since they started. I designed Richmond's first Indigenous Round Guernsey. Oh, and wow. that was how I was introduced to the club. Yeah. Um, and have been a bit of an ambassador for KGI programs, and now my business is like a partner. Um, so it's, yeah, it's been a, an ongoing, kind of evolving relationship. Yeah. Mm. And, and what is the relationship between the Institute and the Richmond Football Club as well? Like, why is it actually based here? Um, I think that would be the broader scope of that question would have to be one for the club. But from my perspective, it's been really, um, it's been really cool in that we can leverage off football for so many other purposes. Mm. Um, a lot of the kids that we get through the door, they're just so excited to be at a football club. Um, yeah that carries such weight for our young ones, particularly 
in you know in a climate where Aboriginal people aren't always celebrated in in mainstream society or in mainstream media, our football players are absolute heroes, and for a lot of our young ones who might not have had access to um, you know really talking about diverse career paths, football is seen as 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 a way to make it, um, and so these guys are absolute heroes. Um, which is one of the reasons I love working in AFL. I'm happy to be anywhere where our people are celebrated as heroes. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing in terms of getting people here and getting people engaged in programs that they might not otherwise. And then once we get the young ones in the door, the leadership programs are about so much more than football, um, but it's that, it's that way to hook them. Yeah. Are the kids, are they kids? Are they all kids? They're, they're 13 to 18. Um, a lot of, they're, they're the real camp program. So they're, um, that's the way that I've kind of been engaged with um, KGI. Um, and they're, yeah, they're leadership camps. They're for kids that have um, high attendance rates at school and that are doing pretty well. Um, and about exposing them to different forms of leadership and different career pathways. Yeah. And is it from Melbourne and surrounding areas? Or Victoria. Victoria? Yeah. 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 And is that what you're saying? Your role is to help with the camps? Is that what you Yeah, doing? so I've been working with them in, in different capacities for ages. I do workshops around social media and um, kind of online role modelling and behaviours. Um, the real camps is, is one group. There's other groups like the Laguntas, which are young, promising, uh, potential kind of AFL players. So it's really cool talking to them about online brand. You know, AFL players obviously have to be very cautious about what they post. And so we're kind of talking to these young boys about, you need to start it now. If you're looking at being recruited, don't think that people aren't checking what you're putting online. Um, so that's been my involvement um, in, in most recent years yeah mm. what can you talk about like some of the exciting things you've seen through your work with those guys is it guys and girls yeah, yeah yeah I think there's so many I um it's amazing watching young ones grow and 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 flourish um, I think one of the disappointing things is the racism that they encounter is so similar and the, the stereotypes that they hear people kind of impose on them is so similar to what I had in high school. And I can't believe that 20 years on, these kids are still going through the same stuff, that that doesn't feel like it's really shifting very rapidly. Um, but I think the difference is, is that the, the kids are so well equipped in how they talk about it and how they deal with it. Um, and so it's really exciting to see them grow in confidence um, and to come up with creative ways of, of challenging racism within school systems and just within kind of broader social settings and for them to become stronger and stronger within their own cultural identity. Um, something that always comes up with any young ones that I work with, whether it's through this centre or through other places, is, is conversations around skin colour and expectations that Aboriginal people look a certain way and where does that leave our young ones that don't look like that when they're still proud of their cultural heritage. Um, and you see those conversations kind of almost, I don't think resolved is the right word, but they work through them um, and they 
get stronger and stronger in, in who they are and that's a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. And is that that's part of the resilience that's taught through the camps and through the institute? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something that um, probably any Aboriginal run program will focus on is strengthening of cultural identity, you know, through all of the different projects I work on. Um, you know, we hear time and time again that the you know, the way to address the difficulties that we face as a community is cultural strengthening. Um, so it's something that we focus on. Yeah. What does Aboriginal cultural strengthening mean in the Victorian context? Like what? You know, what sort of things do you focus on or, you know, maintain or, you know, yeah, grow? Yeah. I think um, one of my favourite events that, that my business runs, Kalinya, um, communications. We partner with the Koori Youth Council. We run an event called the Koori Youth Summit, um, which I've just started working on for this year. This year will be our third summit. And it brings together a slightly older demographic than the real camp. It's almost like a follow-on. Yeah. Um, so this is 18 to 28-year-olds. And they're very engaged, intelligent, switched-on demographic of kind of young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people from, again, around Victoria and they come together for two days. Um, and the cool thing about this event is that we don't set the agenda. We ask the delegates what they want to speak about. So it kind of breaks that model of, of mm. traditional leadership programs. Yeah. Um, and they talk about some really interesting stuff. And the last one was very much focused on decolonization, decolonization through a variety of different means decolonizing your music choices was one of the things that they wanted to talk about. Um, language revitalization programs, uh, connecting with elders, um, hearing hearing elders' stories, hearing journeys, honoring those journeys, um, and learning about native plants, caring for country, environmental sustainability, um, and then other things that you know, there aren't always spaces to talk about gay, lesbian, transgender rights and what does that mean within cultural context. Really current, interesting topics. It's a really yeah. exciting event. Wow. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Yeah, um, it's my favourite. It's yeah. really exciting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you talked a little bit about elders then and different parts of the mm -hmm. Aboriginal community. Is it... Is it a great opportunity for those people to come together as well? We have, it's a, it's majority a youth space. Um, we have quite strict cultural protocols within our communities about who has the right to speak for what country, um, for you know our, our young people. We're always taught to respect our elders from a very, very young age. Um, and so for that reason, we, we think it's important to have youth-only spaces so our young ones speak really openly and freely without fear of disrespecting elders by having different opinions yeah. because obviously with intergenerational changes happening, um, some of our young ones want to discuss what, what's going on now and what's going on in the future. and So they have spaces to talk about that amongst themselves and then we have elders circles um, where the conversation begins, you know, between our elders and our young ones, begins, continues, I guess, because they all have their own relationships with elders within their families and communities. Um, 
and this year that will that will continue. We have an elder in residence, Ani Ani Dyker, who's a Wurundjeri elder. She comes and stays the whole time, which has been really lovely to always have her there. Um, and she, you know, steps outside for the youth only spaces and comes back and catches up on what's been happening. Um, and this time, as well as having our our own elders, we'll have politicians um, that will come on the last day and can hear. Um, you know, what our young ones really think about issues that are important to them. Yeah. Um, my mind's just going like 50 different directions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to talk about first. But one of the things, I guess, that, you know, I think is important, like it, just listening to you talking about uh, this kind of stuff, I don't have a lot of engagement with Indigenous Australians in my day-to-day mm -hmm. -day life and I imagine that might be the case for a lot of people listening to this or in the in the community of Melbourne what yeah. I mean what avenues are there for those borderlands if you like that crossover mm. you know and I, I think about that in a number of ways like one for conversations for understanding mm -hmm. but also just you know what you're talking about elders there and it just being an ongoing conversation mm. the concept of eldership in my culture, in the, you know, the culture that I live mm. in on a day-to-day -day basis is kind of non-existent. And mm. I think it's something very important, but there's a lot of things to learn, like, like, like how can that interface and that interaction mm. best occur? Yeah, I think, I, I'm, I agree. I think that there's a lot of things that we're simply raised to do and that there's an expectation that we do that is incredibly positive and that broader Australia could really learn from. Um, you know, and I've noticed that in, in running events that, you know, in, in being an Aboriginal specific events company, you know, there's so many things we do. We always have an elders room. The elders room always has seating, has heating or air conditioning or shade if it's outside. The catering always goes there first, you know, and they're just, they're givens. Mm. Um, you couldn't run an Aboriginal event without that and you don't need security because everybody knows that's the elders room and everybody respects that. Um, I think that that would be a beautiful thing to see the rest of Melbourne, the rest of Australia do to treat um, our, our elderly citizens with that much respect. And there's so many things like that that we, we just do um, that I believe, you know, is, is it's really, they just, I think they're best practice. Yeah. You know, that's that's my kind of thinking around a lot of, um, I guess, Aboriginal ways of working is that they're best practice. And I I would like to share that and more. Um, yeah. And so this year I'm focusing a lot on collaborations with like-minded businesses, um, both. I've always worked with Aboriginal small businesses because I really believe in building a strong economic base for our communities. Mm. Um, but I also want to work now with kind of, I guess, conscious or values-driven non-Indigenous businesses who are interested in cross-cultural learning because I've got so much to learn on a professional level, but I also believe that um, the community that I come from has established values um, that, that other businesses could learn from. So that's, that's an exciting part of small business for me, that yeah. collaborative side. In terms of the conversation, I think it's a difficult one and it's why I chose to study and to work in the media 
because there are so many Australians who have never knowingly met an Aboriginal person, um, that people are filled with questions and that's understandable and it's good because we need to have these conversations, but it can get really tiring. If you're out on a Friday night having an after work drink, after you've worked all week, working really, you know, we work really, really hard. Um, you don't necessarily want to be approached at the pub and have a conversation about why should I say sorry? Why is Adam Good throwing an imaginary spear? Why is this happening? What's the intervention? You know, you just yeah. actually want to relax with your mates. Yeah. Um, so how do we create spaces for meaningful conversation um, and two-way conversation that's beneficial to both because it can't always be put on us to constantly be educating and giving information away because it's too tiring. Um, so I think the media is incredibly important in that um, because then we can share our stories on a much broader scale and get rid of some of the kind of othering ideas that pop us in a box over there that, um, but also events, you know, yep. events that bring people together to share stories and to collaborate. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a interesting question because yeah. it's necessary and we need to, we, and we want to share, we want to share our cultural knowledge, we want to share our, be our best practice models, but we also can't be, I guess, kind of on the whole time. No. Sometimes we just want to be people. Yeah. 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 And I think um, like where we are now is a great example of where that's happening at a football club or through the AFL. Like yeah. There seems to be some great conversations that are enabled, some great events uh, like the Indigenous Round, mm. Dreamtime at the G, that yeah. kind of thing, which are uh, bringing about a two-way conversation in that way. And then there's some more acute events like the Adam Goods incident, mm -hmm. for example, that mm -hmm. maybe, um, you know, it did bring a whole lot of stuff that might have been simmering under the surface for a lot of people Absolutely. for a long time. Yeah. I think it's an interesting time um, and I think my personal perspective is that it, it's a time of change um, and that some people are scared of change. You know, our voices have never been heard in the way that they're being heard now. You know, people loved Adam Goods when he was a athlete but not a spokesperson. Yeah. It was when he started using his voice that people started booing him. You know, and I think that signals a real change in that we've always, we've always been allowed to succeed in, in the sporting arena, but not necessarily speak. Um, and now people are using their voice. Another, um, you know, example was Miranda Tamsel, the actress, when she um, went on commercial television and talked about her experiences of racism. There was a massive backlash. I think it, it signals a kind of exciting time because we're getting out there and we're reaching audiences that have never heard an Aboriginal perspective before, um, but it is inciting fear in people and with fear comes ignorance and violence. Yeah. So I think you know Aboriginal spokespeople who are in that really mainstream arena right now are very brave and I have utmost respect for them. Yeah. Um, what do you think people are afraid of when you talk about fear there what what is that fear I'm not sure really um, challenging the status quo I'm not sure I think it's such a um, 
it's such a colonization such a well practiced systematic kind of thing that has occurred all over the world um, and it happens on so many levels to you know, kind of try and keep indigenous people really at the bottom and I think that there's just a fear of change of, of when that system is breaking down when we are working to decolonize you know I think yeah I think it's scary I think people are scared I guess it's the same I I don't personally understand why people are scared of asylum seekers I you know I can't understand that myself because it's not the way I was raised it's not the way I feel mm. but I guess it's a similar fear fear of change mm. a fear of of perceived kind of stability yeah. being challenged uh, yeah a fear that it's going to be worse for me somehow yeah. whereas the reality is probably that it might be better yeah I think so I'm really excited about where Australia is heading in terms of multiculturalism I can't wait for a couple of more generations when we, you know, really are at a diverse country. Yeah. It'd be really cool. Yeah. Um, how did you get into the arts? Well, can you talk a little bit about your background and, you know, where you grew up and, yeah, how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So I was born and raised in Melbourne, northern suburbs of, of Melbourne. Um, and my family, a lot of my family around Echuca Shepparton. My grandmother is a very proud Yorta Yorta woman from Cumbragunja Mission. And my grandfather um, from the Narandra Sandhills and Radri country, which is one of the biggest kind of um, groups, language groups in New South Wales. So we have a massive family. Yeah. Um, my, my grandmother ha and grandfather had 14 kids. Um, and from those 14 kids, there's over 500 direct descendants now. Wow. So we are a big family. Um, and my family has been very involved in Aboriginal affairs. Um, from those 14 kids, there's been a number of CEOs and chairs of boards. Yeah. Um, my grandmother raised the kids, you know, on the mission, dirt floor, corrugated iron roof, no running water, no electricity. Um, and so, you know, she's, she's a constant um, reminder of, of you know, where I come from and, and where I draw strength from. Um, she's a matriarch of our family. Aboriginal families are quite matriarchal. Are they? You know, yeah. Women, women are the heads of, of many families. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I was raised, I was instilled with, um, I guess, that history and that knowledge and, and um, always taught about the importance of giving back to community. I was raised very much with the idea that you go and you get as skilled up as you can and then you bring those skills back. Um, my dad's worked in Aboriginal education my whole life. He runs the Victorian Aboriginal Education Association and has for about 27 years. Wow. Um, and so we had it drilled into our head from a very young age that education is a privilege that not everybody gets. Um, you know, I'm first generation to be to have access to the education that I have had. You know, for my father's generation, um, Aboriginal people kind of left school at year nine. There was a, a misunderstanding. It's a soft way of saying it, but <laughs> there was an idea that Aboriginal people were better with their hands than their minds, um, and Aboriginal women would go and study to be trained to be domestics. Um, Aboriginal men would go and, and learn trades as also. So it's really my generation um, that had full access 
to, to high school even and now university. Um, so we were really raised to never take that um, for, you know, for granted. Um, to go and get skilled up. So I went to Melbourne Uni and I studied media comms because I wanted to challenge misconceptions around Aboriginality and I thought the media was the way to do that. Mm. And I did a government cadetship and got all trained up and was kind of all ready to go and wanted to work for our community organisations because that's where I was raised in community orgs and I wanted to work in marketing and I got back and realised that these jobs don't exist. Um, that our organisations are, you know, they're service delivery. They are about making sure we have education and housing and health care and that websites and media releases aren't a priority. Um, and so I can understand that, but I also thought, well, we have all these amazing good news stories happening on the ground, but we don't have anyone pushing them out. So I saw this massive kind of gap um, but was too young to do anything about it. And then went and did lots of other jobs for 10 years, um, many in the arts, many in youth affairs, um, and then did a fellowship through the National Gallery of Australia. And I worked in the marketing team there and had an amazing experience and kind of went, this is what I'm trained in, this is what I'm passionate about. Um, and if I can do it at Australia's top institution, why can't I do it back home in my community? Yeah. Um, and so that's how I came back and, and started my business. Yeah. And I guess in that in that time where you first had this idea and then and then you started to come back to it now, has there been a big change in the in the entrepreneurial aspect of indigenous businesses as well? Like is there a lot more entrepreneurial thinking now? Absolutely. Well? Absolutely. It's a really exciting time. There's a, a kind of crew of us, you know, and we're all around 30-ish um, and have had the benefits of what our ancestors have fought for, you know, have had access to education um, and different opportunities, whether it be tertiary education or just opportunities for networking and travel and, um, you know, and of course technology and the internet has shifted things so much, you know, yeah. we have access now to global trends and we travel the world yeah. um, and, and I think that's that's shifted things immensely um, but yeah there's this kind of wave I think of, of young Aboriginal entrepreneurship and it's so exciting yeah because it's forward thinking and it's new and it's uh, it's self-determined yeah. you know it's a whole generation of, of people who are like you know we come from this legacy of activists and you know survivors and now we're so privileged because of what they fought for. What are we going to do with it? Um, and so there's a bit of fire there. Yeah. It's a good push. Yeah. Um, is there, you know, even in your business and some of those, some of those businesses that mm. you're seeing, is there a, a particular way of doing business that's Indigenous, that's different to non-Indigenous way of doing business? I think our businesses are very much value-driven. Um, most of us went into business for reasons other than just profit. You know, I think that that economic sustainability is also important and we have the right to prosper economically within this society. Um, but there's other things that we want as well. Um, and you see that with most Aboriginal businesses that 
there's there's broader reasons that we're doing it, whether it's because we want independence or we want to do things in the way that, that we believe is good for our community yeah. um, without having to, to answer to, you know, regulations and, and red tape around things, or whether it's because we just want to be able to push change um, and open doors for others. Um, you know, some of the things that I'm really passionate about with my business is I work with a minimum of four young Aboriginal people every year to ensure the growth of this sector. You know, when I went through uni, I was the second Aboriginal person to graduate from media comms. Okay. Um, I think Kalinia is probably one of, I'd say three or four Aboriginal owned PR comms firms in the country. Aboriginal affairs is a multi, multi-million dollar industry and I'm one of three or four comms people, yeah. you know, not people, but businesses. Um, there's other people working in the sector. And so, you know, this industry needs to grow, yeah. um, needs to be so much bigger. And so I'm really committed to working with young ones. I had a lot of mentors that um, that created pathways for me. And we're, we're raised to think that. We're raised to act in that way, that whenever you get to a certain position, it's your responsibility to give back. Um, so I think that's, that's, you know, one aspect of Aboriginal business of working, working together as well. You know, when I first did my business plan, you've got to look at your know, business competitors. And I just, I couldn't think that way because I just see potential for partnerships. Yeah. There's so few of us, there's so much work to be done. Why would I see another Aboriginal business owner as a competitor? Um, so I think that thing of working together because at the end of the day, we just want what's good for our people. Yeah. Um, and it, it, I guess it filters down in a lot of different ways in, in regards to media. You know, a lot of Aboriginal people feel nervous about engaging with the media because there's such a long history of misrepresentation. So we do things like double approval processes. So people, um, if I'm doing a media release, I'll sit down, I'll have a yarn with someone, get quotes, then I send it back to them to approve. Um, and then if it's going into a different context, I get it approved again um, because it's incredibly important for us to feel ownership. We, c we can't control what happens once we put those media releases out, but we want to ensure that community members feel really positive and feel like they have complete ownership over the words that we're pushing out there into the Australian media. Um, things like that take time and, you know, I think they're quite Aboriginal specific ways of working. But that's the cool thing about small business, you can write your own rules. Yeah, mm. yeah. How about the way you work on a, on, mm -hmm. a, on a daily basis or on a, a weekly basis? How do you actually go about things? Do you, you know, do you have a specific morning routine? Are you here nine to five every day? No. Like, how, do you, how do you operate? <laughs> People laugh at me because I come in at like midday often. Um, but. I think it's a combination of the industry, like, you know, PR marketing events is not nine to five anyway, because you're at events all the time. I was working yesterday um, at the Womanjika Festival in Footscray. And so, um, it, yeah, Indigenous or non-Indigenous, I think the timing would be different. But I think the difference is, is that we can never clock off at five because we work in a close-knit community. Um, so even when I'm at those events, of course, I'm talking to prospective clients. Um, who are also friends or family members 
uh, colleagues, you know, it's, it's an entwined community which is really fantastic when you're starting out because um, you don't need a lot of marketing, everybody knows who you yeah. are. Um, but it's also pressure because if you stuff up, people know about it instantly. Um, and for that reason, our integrity is our brand. Yeah. You know, you can't operate within my community without integrity. Yeah. And so while you want cultural integrity and personal integrity anyway for your own well-being and living a good life, business-wise, you can't run an Aboriginal business if you, um, if you compromise your cultural integrity. Yeah. A strong self-regulation mm -hmm. in a way through that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're saying there's... there's a bunch of people in their 30s that are, are all quite entrepreneurial that you're friends with. Can mm -hmm. you talk about some of the really cool stuff that might be happening yeah. in that group? Happily, I love the stuff they're doing. It's so exciting. Um, one of my one of my friends, Sasha Sarago, she started um, Australia's first Indigenous and ethnic women's lifestyle magazine, and it is beautiful. Um, so it's online now. I hope that it will get published in paper soon. Um, but it is stunning and, you know, it's like a Clio Cosmo for intelligent women, yeah. multicultural women. Yeah. Um, and it's got everything from, you know, how, how to get black hair products in a country where they're not often stocked yeah. to make up for different skin tones. You know, Aboriginal women have different skin tones than African-American women. Yeah. Where do we get makeup from? Yeah. Um, to, uh, I read an article um, with Sasha around something that we've been talking about for years. Sasha's a, um, a ex-swimsuit model and is, you know, ridiculously beautiful. And we often talked about this idea of being too pretty to be Aboriginal. It's something that has been thrown at, you know, most Aboriginal women um, a lot. And it's a strange thing that men seem to think is a compliment when they say, oh, you can't be Aboriginal. You're far too pretty to be Aboriginal. Um, and don't understand the inherent racism in that on so many layers and levels that um, firstly, you know, you're challenging our cultural identity. You're saying that we don't look Aboriginal and we're proudly Aboriginal. You're saying that darker skinned women are not beautiful, which is a lie. Um, and you're saying that, you know, the women that we come from, our grandmothers and our great grandmothers, the, the legacies that we carry forward with a lot of pride, that, that they weren't beautiful women. Um, and so, of course, it's something that we're highly offended by, but we get it so often that you get desensitised to it. Something that Aboriginal women might hear every week, every month, you know. Um, and I was so excited the other day to see Black Comedy on ABC has done a skit on it. And that was really cool um, because now these conversations are just, they're happening and it's becoming regular to have the, go, yeah, this is, this is like, welcome to our world. This is what gets said to us constantly. Um, and so me and Sasha worked together on an article for, for her magazine, but you know, that kind of stuff, really breaking boundaries and, and challenging things um, in stylish ways. Yeah. You know, it is a beautiful looking magazine. It's, the photography is stunning, the graphic design is stunning. Um, Sasha is a, amazing at, at branding and consistent brand. Um, so bringing in all of those elements, I think that's what really excites me about this um, kind of new wave. There's another, um, another guy, 
that is kind of married into my family, brother-in-law, I think he is. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but um, he is working on Aboriginal landscaping, you know, so knowledge around um, Indigenous plants, but Indigenous design in terms of landscaping. Um, I work with other guys who are Indigenous architects and are talking about instead of kind of seeing Indigenous history or the Australian landscape is in opposition to design and architecture. Why are we not hearing those stories and working it into design? Why are we not working with the landscape that we have here? You know, innovative stuff. That's awesome. Next stuff. level yeah. innovative stuff. Yeah. Because you do look around a lot of the parks, the buildings, even in Melbourne, even looking out this window right now, and it's not really in harmony with the place where we live. No, 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 yeah. it, it's, it's trying to put, you know, European landscapes and buildings on and Australian soil. And, and I think that goes back to kind of colonial ideas of struggling with the Australian outback and the bush. And, you know, now let's have a think about, well, we're here yeah. and yeah. we have plants that survive droughts yeah. because we're used to it. Yeah. We have our own ways of stopping bushfires because we did for 60,000 years, you know, when are we going to start having these conversations because our people know how to engage with this land and this landscape? Yeah. Best practice, as you were saying, yeah. you know, refined over a very long period yeah. of time. Yeah. And I feel like we're coming to that point. That's what I'm excited about, um, that we're coming to a point where Australians are going to want to start having these conversations about, yeah, you've been doing this for 60,000 years and these traditions have been passed on. What can we learn? Let's talk about it. And how can we combine it with global technology? Mm. You know, how do, we, how do we make it about here and now, about 2016? You know, we do know how to stop bushfires. We have traditional burning off techniques that have been happening forever. But there's also all of this amazing technology that firefighters have. You know, when, let's have those conversations. I, I feel like we're coming to that time. Yeah. Which is cool. That is super exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I guess, you know, one of the things, you know, you've worked in the arts and now you're in the business world as well. And it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on the, I guess, the different roles that those two areas play in getting a message across, particularly, mm -hmm. you know, an Indigenous message is what we're talking yeah. about today. But I, I feel so excited by the role that business is starting to mm, play. Me too. Even in, even in giving people the ability to find out who they are and express it mm -hmm. in an authentic way. Agreed. But yeah. That's my favourite thing about business. I, I don't think I realised how much I wasn't living who I was when I was in nine to five jobs where um, you kind of often expected to play a part. Um, and I think for Aboriginal people, particularly if you're the only Aboriginal person within a massive non-Indigenous organisation, um, we speak differently on the phone, you know, like when we're talking to our, our colleagues slash family members slash friends, <laughs> you know, we speak differently and it sounds unprofessional to some people in a non-Indigenous environment and you start altering all of that when you're working in, in corporate spaces. Um, and sometimes you feel it and sometimes you know it and sometimes it happens unconsciously but then you go into small business and you just be really authentically you yeah. and it's so nice. Um, and the respect that you get is, that's been one of the most interesting things. I've been in a number of roles um, where I guess people 
subconsciously thought of me in a certain way and you hear that it in their tone of voice and they say oh that's so nice that you run in those youth <coughs> programs oh wow that's so interesting that you're working on that program and then you work walk in as the director of a company and they say good afternoon it's really nice to meet you do you want to talk about business yeah and that is so refreshing wow it's so nice yeah um, just as we start to wrap up, there's a couple of questions that I ask everyone who comes on and has a chat. The first one is, what's something that you think about disrupting, you know, sometime in the future? What do you dream about disrupting when you, you know, daydream? When I daydream, I think one of, one of the things that I often think about is, is morning television. Morning television is one of the only kind of times that I really watch the news. I don't watch the news a lot. I, I choose to, when I say, I, I curate my news feeds through social media um, yeah. because I don't believe that mainstream news always reflects my values, my ideologies. Um, so I prefer to hear the news through um, Indigenous and value kind of led commentators. Um, but I often watch morning television, so that's my insight into really mainstream Australian ideas. And I see those panels of, of Australian women talking about whatever kind of news topic there is. And sometimes I just daydream about what it would be like to have a really authentically herself proud Aboriginal woman on those panels. Not to be the Aboriginal spokesperson, just to be there just to be giving an Aboriginal woman's perspective on whatever current news topics there are. Um, and in a way, and I, it, I don't think it would be possible now because I don't think Australia is ready for it yet, but in a way that she could say actually what she felt yeah. um, on Indigenous and non-Indigenous issues um, and, and represent the complexity of our day-to-day -day lives and personalities. Yeah. That would be so cool. Yeah. I can't wait for that. Have you had any opportunities for something like that before? It's not, it's not the time yet. Yeah. You know, if you see the way any Aboriginal issues are spoken about on daytime television and then the social media backlash, and if you read the comments from anything, you know, that horrifically racist game was just taken off um, and Sunrise did a, did a small piece on it and the comments go crazy when Miranda Tamsel... Um, spoke about her real life experiences, the comments were horrible, mm. the backlash was horrible. So it's not time yet. Yeah. Viewers aren't ready for it, but I think it's coming. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the last question is, I guess a suggestion that you might have for people that are listening to this that are on, on a similar path to being, I guess, a purpose-driven entrepreneur or a, a subtle disruptor, as I like to call those mm -hmm. people. What's a a small thing that people can start to do in their everyday life um, that you would suggest they start doing? I think listening to yourself about what feels good and authentic. Um, I think when you're purpose driven in life and you want to be a disruptor, there's, um, there's a lot of ideas that we have around what that looks like and it doesn't always fit for all of us, you know. Um, I never felt that comfortable protesting. You know, I've raised in rallies and protests, but it never felt like me. Yeah. And it, 
it's not to say that I don't support them and don't think that they're fabulous and that there's a place for them in Australian society and all societies, but it didn't feel authentic to me. It feels more authentic to me to, to be challenging things through business, you know, and through media. Um, and so I guess to, to listen to yourself about what feels like the right way to be making those moves and, and challenging systems and structures that you don't believe in. Yeah, I think that's awesome. It's a great way to wrap up. Jira, thanks a lot for your time today. Thank you, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Subtle Disruptors. I hope you got something out of it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, including any suggestions you have for guests. You can get me on email through adam at subtledisruptors.com. I'm Adam Murray, and I look forward to hearing about your own subtle disruption. Bye for now.